0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to
1: oneandall.media. And this is what I want you to take away this Christmas, to capture this and the difference it can make in your life. you got to understand that Christmas really happened. It's an actual event. Often we'll read Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 2, maybe John 1. However, 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, is perhaps the most descriptive of all of the why of the what. Why did these events of the first Christmas take place? Today.
0: Today. Today.
1: Today with Jeff Fines, pastor,
0: apologist, and Bible teacher. What a joyful time of year. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We're glad you've hit play or found this broadcast. Throughout this Christmas series, Pastor Jeff has been helping us to rediscover the wonder of Christmas. In this message, he's in 1 John chapter 1, speaking about Christmas joy and experiencing the wonder of God. You can find the whole series wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines." For now, let's begin today's message.
1: While we're getting ready to celebrate, we're celebrating Christmas this week and one of my favorite times of year. But I love the Christmas story because, especially, of what we learn about what we call the Magi or the Three Wise Men, if there were indeed three. It reminds me that the vastness of the universe has always mesmerized every generation since the beginning, since God created the heavens and the earth. And every time I start going into this, I remember that our sun is just one star among the hundreds of billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And the universe is made up of billions and billions of other galaxies. Now, take that in for a moment. Our sun, one star, and hundreds of billions of stars just in our Milky Way galaxy. And the universe is made up of billions and billions of other galaxies. Wow. Now, I read this past week that the distance between the Earth and the observable universe, in other words, how far away that we can, we can see, that we can take data and information, is 93 billion light years. So you ask, how far can light travel in, in one given year? And the answer is almost 6 trillion miles. So at the edge of the observable galaxy, our galaxy, what we know, there is 93 billion light years away, all of this stuff. But beyond that, that's just our own galaxy. Beyond that, beyond that are things that we will probably never see, understand, comprehend. Everyone's been telling us over the last few years, follow the science, follow the science. Well, here's what the science tells us. We will never be able to travel to another galaxy. Scientists tell us that such travel is beyond humanity's capacity. That means there's so much out there that we're never going to understand or even be able to collect data from so much beyond our own galaxy into the entire universe. There are billions and billions of other galaxies. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that we understand about two ounces of this universe, that most of the universe is beyond our grasp and comprehension. Now, we do suspect that all the vastness of the universe somehow contributes to Earth's ability to sustain life. But we're really not certain how all that fits together because our knowledge is significantly limited. We may make new discoveries, and that's good. We're all for science, the discovery of God's planet, God's universe. But pretending that we can ever have an exhaustive understanding of all that we see in the expanse of space is like a child discovering that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and suddenly he or she has an exhaustive comprehension of mathematics. The vast, expansive, inexplicable, wondrous world leads to one logical conclusion, God. In the beginning, God. Which is exactly what Bill Landers, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman of Apollo 8 said as they orbited the moon on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1968. The only words they could use to describe what they were seeing, in the beginning, God. And just as Paul had written 2,000 years before, in all creation, Paul says, we see God, his eternal power, his divine nature. Romans chapter one, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's indivisible or invisible rather qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So as we look at the heavens, we're supposed to see the wonder of God. Now, why is that important? Well, because ancient peoples also believed in God or gods due primarily to the vastness of the heavens and the earth. In fact, in the Christmas story, we're told that the wise men, or magi, followed the Christmas star to find the king of kings. And I've always been intrigued by that, because how did they know which star to follow? Which star? There are lots of stars in the observable galaxy. And they were Babylonians, so why are they so concerned about a king in Israel? They weren't Jewish, neither were they monotheistic. So why did they search particularly for one king, a Jewish king? They would have had their own religion and culture and personal beliefs. So why go and search on a long journey for a king from another nation? Now, what's really extremely interesting here is that the three wise men, if there were three, the three kings, the magi, whatever they were, were of Babylonian stock. We know that in this time of history, the Babylonians were enamored with the stars and with the heavens. They believed that human events would be played out in the constellations before they ever became a reality on Earth. So through the movements of the stars and the planets throughout specific constellations, heavenly stories were told that would predict earthly events. Matter of fact, a quote that I often read, Pliny the Elder, a respected historian from this time, went so far to say that there are principles by which cometary apparitions could be interpreted. He claimed that by noticing the shape of the comet, you can determine the nature and geographical location of the doom or the fortune because it could represent either one. So by taking note of the comet's appearance, its placement within the sky, and the way in which its tail is pointed, he says this, and I quote, "'If it looks like a flute, it is an omen regarding the art of music. If it appears in the private parts of constellations, it is an omen for immoral behavior.'" It portends genius and erudition if it forms an equilateral triangle or a rectangular quadrilateral in relation to some fixed stars. And it portends poisonings if it appears in the head of either the northern or southern serpent. That's plenty the elder. So he says, look at the comet and determine the doom or the fortune. Now, stay with me. During the 8th and 7th centuries BC, Babylon astronomers actually developed a new empirical approach to astronomy. So great was this contribution to astronomy and the philosophy of science that some scholars see this as the first scientific revolution. You ever wondered, for instance, why there are 60 minutes in an hour or 360 degrees in a circle? It comes from these ancient Chaldeans. They used what is called a sexagesimal place value number system, which simplified the task of recording very large, very small numbers. So the practice of dividing a circle into 360 degrees and an hour into 60 minutes are examples of their methodology that we still use today. And the Babylonians were extremely religious. They believed in many gods, which is why we have Sunday—it's so the worship of the sun day, Moon Day or Monday—the worship of the moon, Thursday or Thor's Day—all have their roots in Chaldean astrology, which attributed to the gods each of the planets. So the known and observable heavens were everything to these Babylonians. Now, if you know your Old Testament history and all this is connected, God sent someone to the Babylonians to explain the reality of a creator that created the heavens and the earth. One God responsible for all creation who planned in the future to reveal himself. You've heard me say before, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe that this God somehow has revealed himself to us. So as the Jews were exiled in Babylon in the 6th century BC, God sends Daniel into captivity to rescue the Babylonians. Yeah? Daniel was a servant to the Babylonians, but he's also God's ambassador, chosen to teach them about the one true Lord of all creation. So in a setup initiated by God, the king was plagued, remember, by a troubling dream, and none of the Chaldeans and all their wise men could solve it. None of their magicians, none of the divination could help them, only Daniel was able to solve the mystery because God had put him there at the right place at the right time for something that was gonna happen in the future. So the entire empire started to learn that there was one God because of Daniel, there was one God who was sovereign over all the powers they had ever known in the constellations. Daniel explains to the king, in these words, you'll find this in Daniel 2.27, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel talks about the God of heaven who made and controls all the skies and the galaxies in order to effectively reach the Babylonian nobility in terms they could understand. Daniel communicates in this language. Now, again, if you know the story, Daniel and his friends proved several times that the God of Israel not only knows the future, but he's sovereign over it. And as a result, King Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 47, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And Daniel and his friends are promoted to the highest ranks in the kingdom. And more than that, in time, Nebuchadnezzar actually encourages the people over whom he rules to worship one God, the one true God. And he leads the Babylonians to look not to the stars, but to the one who created, the maker of all that is. As a result, Daniel becomes the chief of the Magi. Imagine that, a Hebrew, an Israelite, in captivity in Babylon, becomes the leader of all the wise men, the Magi, those who study the stars, in order that they can determine the times and places of major world events, all of which are ruled over and determined by the God who created the heavens. Now, While Daniel is in Babylonian captivity, and he's leading the wise men, Daniel gets a personal visit from the archangel, telling him exactly when the Messiah, the King of the Jews, is going to be born. In Daniel 9, verse 26, this is what we read. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel, one of the ancient magi of the Chaldeans, gets a heads up about the timing of the Messiah's coming, and the fact that the Messiah would be cut off, crucified, before the destruction of the sect at temple, 70 AD. Now... Counting from the order to rebuild Jerusalem, Daniel is told by the angel Gabriel, it would be seven weeks plus 62 weeks, which equals 483 years. 483 years, that gives us the time frame. Now, let me just take a pause. A lot of people will tell me, you know, I want to believe the Bible is the word of God. It Wouldn't it be cool if you could just have your Bible, no matter what translation it is, when you open to the middle of it, there's a hologram that pops out and something says, this is the word of God. People say, well, you know, if something miraculous like that happened, I might believe it. But the reality is, if you take the time to look at the scriptures, you will know that there are prophecies that can be tested and verified all in this book. That's the miraculous nature of what we are reading in the scripture. So in the year 445 BC, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, gives Nehemiah the order, just like Daniel was told, to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. You can read about that later in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse uh, verse 1 through 8. And as a result, countdown begins. So this is how the ancient Chaldeans would have known what to look out for and when to look out for the coming king. And that wisdom would have been passed down generation after generation to call the wise men or the magi. So follow carefully now. These Babylonian wise men, that had the countdown from Daniel because Daniel was in exile and taught them. So they knew the year by doing the math and they knew what they were looking for in the constellations in the skies. What celestial events would happen to determine or communicate the birth of a king. They had the understanding of the stars, the word of God, And now they had the faith to believe it all. Now, here's what's astounding. Here's why we did all that work. As evidenced by their passionate pursuit and long journey, the wise men did not allow their traditions or culture to prevent them from discovering the transcendent. So when the truth and wisdom of God entered their culture, even though it wasn't consistent with what they formerly believed, They willingly laid down any presuppositions, followed the road that led them to the king of kings. That's amazing. I love this because it reveals to you and me the importance of seeking God on his terms, not ours. The importance of not creating God in your own image, not allowing culture to dictate to you what God is like, but instead, depending on God's revelation of himself to reveal to us the truth of his divine nature and his intentions for all humanity. I love this. Do you, do you understand that the very purpose of Christmas was to do just that? That you would stop. You would take a pause. And all your presuppositions about God would suddenly, in the face of Christ Jesus our Lord, through his birth, death, resurrection, through his ministry, you would begin to see what God is really like. And the mistakes you had made, you would now conform to the revelation of God to us. Remember, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But here's the problem. And this is what I want you to take away this Christmas. To capture this and the difference it can make in your life, you have to do three things. Here's the first one. You got to understand that Christmas really happened. It's an actual event. Often we'll read Matthew chapter one and two, Luke chapter two, maybe John one. And of course, Revelation 12 is also a description of the Christmas narrative. However, 1 John chapter one, one through four is perhaps the most descriptive of all of the why of the what. Why did these events of the first Christmas take place? Let me read the text. 1 John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice what John emphasizes in the text. He says, we saw him, we heard him, we were with him, the one whose life appeared in the manger that very first Christmas from heaven. Why is John so emphatic? And notice that these verbs correspond to the varieties of what we call witness attestation in ancient jurisprudence. In other words, John writes, we've seen it, we felt it, we heard it, we testified to it. And he does that because he's not making conversation, he's swearing a deposition. He's saying that the gospels, the story of Christmas is real. It's not just a set of nice stories or legends or myths. The incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection all occurred in real space and time. And as a result, everything changed. Okay, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you. I listen. I know it's Christmas. You've got to talk about these things. But what is it that exactly that changed? Well, if Christmas really happened, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace, mighty God, then religion is a waste of time because salvation is by grace through faith. If God really came to this world in the form of a child, a baby, raised to be a man, who gave his life on the cross, then religion is a waste of time. Salvation is by grace through faith, and I hope that you leave this Christmas understanding at least that. The Bible says in John 1, not First John, but John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and every first-year Greek student can tell you this is very simple Greek, and it actually tells you that Jesus was with God in eternity long before he was born in a manger or a cave in Bethlehem. Unto us a child is born, to mankind a son though is given. A child is born, but a son is given from heaven from God. And then verse 2 of John 1 says, Eternal life was with the Father and appeared to us. Now stay with me, because Jesus shows us eternal life is possible, and that's what we're all after. It's confirmed in the resurrection, and then he tells us how to obtain it. And this is where Jesus is different than every other religious leader, which is why Christmas is different than any other holiday. We're not being told that Jesus has eternal life or that he even gives eternal life. We're told he is eternal life. In every other religion, the founder points to eternal life. Do this and you might achieve eternal life. But Jesus is God come in the flesh. And to unite with him in faith, to know him in love, is to have this life. So the question is, Before we move on, how how does one unite with Jesus? And, And around our church at One and All, we have this huge graph that we often design. And on one side, we've got us on this huge rock, and then we've got God over here on this other huge rock, and in between is this great chasm. And we say that the gospel teaches, and this is the reason it's good news, that the gospel teaches that all of us are sinful. All of us. And because we are sinners oftentimes we'll look out in the world and we'll say, man, the world's a horrible place. Well, that's true, but there's a lot of horribleness in us as well. And if you're honest, we're part of the problem in the world. And so we are separated from God, but Jesus, because of his cross, and then we usually draw a cross. And on that plank, you walk across the distance between God or between us and God has been closed because Jesus took all of our sins and nail them to the cross. And now those who will receive this free gift of grace can walk across the beam of the cross in a relationship with God for eternity. That is the core of the gospel. We've also said, you know, some people will say, yeah, that's just too good to be true, that I, you know, I have to do something, don't I? Yeah, you gotta receive the gift. But we've said that's very difficult for some people. The example I like to use is if I give you a Weight Watchers book and a Dale Carnegie book for Christmas, there's a part of you that's appreciative, but there's also a part of you that says, well, Pastor Jeff must think I'm fat and obnoxious. So to receive that gift, you have to admit something about yourself, fat and obnoxious. To receive the gift of grace, you've gotta admit you're never gonna be good enough. You're never gonna be holy enough, righteous enough to stand before God. Religion tells you to measure your goodness in hopes you might get in. Jesus says no one's good enough, But don't worry, I offer salvation as a gift. I offer it as a grace. I know that this year, the last few years, I hear an awful lot of Christ followers saying, man, the world is so bad, I just want out of here. And then I'll hear others say, you know, the church is filled with hypocrites. And my answer is, of course it is. Of course it's filled with hypocrites because none of us can measure up. We're trying and we still believe that the benchmark is good But in our flesh and humanity, we often fail two steps forward, three steps back. We need to be honest about that. In fact, the older I get, the less judgmental I become because of the struggles in my own life. And while I have made improvements because of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm still shocked at momentary setbacks in my own life. And sometimes I'll even get depressed and I'll say, what's wrong with me? And my identity might be shaken. But then the truth of Christmas comes that I'm saved by grace through faith alone that Jesus came in real time to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And he paid the penalty my sin deserves so that I would never have to. And if I will unite with him in faith, his work on the cross is credited then to my account. You say, well, how does that change my world? Because he gave up what was most precious to him so that he would not lose me. And when I really take hold of that, I can have an identity that is rock solid. That even in those seasons when I'm not behaving the way I really want to, I'm in good company with the Apostle Paul who said, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? When you know that these things happened in real time, the only conclusion you can make, you are worth the price God was willing to pay to bring you into eternal relationship with him. And when you understand that, that will give you an identity that is rock solid, that nothing can shake. In other words, because Christmas really happened, salvation by grace through faith. Just quickly, as you think about your life, I'm hoping that this Christmas, those of you who have been Christ followers for a long time, somehow through this series of wonder that you will take on board that God has all the goods on you. Oh man, all the temptations he, has all, he knows all the thoughts that go through your mind. Some are very unholy and unrighteous, and still, and still, he loves you and pursues you and gives you strength for every new day. But there's something else, and that is this. Christmas means that we can actually have fellowship with God. This is unique to the Christian experience, that the God of the vast universe the depths and the widths of which we'll never understand or see, galaxies far, far away that we'll never know, this God who made all of this, this vastness, this wondrous universe can be known and experienced. You've been listening to
0: Today with Jeff finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: you know that's what Christmas is about? That your joy can be made complete that we who were separated from God, God has come near and invites you into relationship through the cross to be received by faith, that you might seek and pursue and invite this God of relationship into your life, knowing that he has all the goods on you and your relationship is rock solid. You can listen
0: to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fiennes wherever you listen to podcasts.